Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. We are starting this series talking about the essentials of life. If you ask the biologist, what are the essentials of life? They'd probably say something like air, food, water, and light. If you're in a survival situation, you learn that the essentials are fire, shelter, water, then food, really in that order. Like you, you gotta get those things established. Yes, an Instagram celebrity, they'd probably say the essentials are a phone, an education, I'm joking, <laughs> just personality. Uh, if, if you're a pharmacist, you ask on a pharmacist, like, what are the essentials of life? They'd probably say minerals and vitamins and exercise and Fauci. Uh, they'd probably say that. I'm just gonna throw that in there right there. If you ask a redneck, what are the essentials of life? Redneck. <laughs> they'd say a truck, loyal dog. Shotgun, lots of ammo, and a good woman. And in that order, probably. Like, that's, those are the most important things in life. The truth is, though, you are much more than just a physical body. There is a strong emotional side to who you are, and there is a major spiritual element to your life as well. And, and the fact is, you can ace all the physical elements in your life, and you would just be existing. You wouldn't really be living. So I want to look at the essentials that will make your life thrive. I'm convinced the majority of the issues that we wind up facing in life happen because we are majoring on the things that are not really essential. We start making really big deals about things that are really not the most important thing. And when you do that, life gets really aimless, fruitless. You get bored. A lot of times you get paralyzed by indecision in those Seasons, weighed down by depression or hopelessness, confused, insecure. I find the majority of the issues that people have in their marriage or in other relationships come about because the essentials are being neglected or ignored. And, and when you ignore the essentials, it'll feed into every other area of your life. As a pastor, I do get questions that seem essential to people. And I'm not saying that they're not important, but they may not be the most important. But they would be important, maybe essential for a season, things like who should I marry? Or should I give this marriage another shot? Should I take this job? What about this degree? Should I buy or rent? Should I live on the north side or the south side of Cabot? Those types of things. And these are the specifics of life, the details, and they may be more of a personal essential for you, but there are also major essentials that are known that apply to all of us. And if you ace the major essentials, it'll affect all the other big decisions in your life. In fact, it will drive all those other decisions in your life, and you will find that you make a lot better decisions on all the other essential questions and decisions. So I wanna give you a couple of these essentials. First of all, God made me to be in relationship with him. 
He made me to be in relationship with him. In Psalm 103, it says this, Know that the Lord is God. Now, I want to stop right there because that almost could sound repetitive. Like, they just use two different names for God. God and Lord. But really what it's establishing is not just the person that you can know, but the person that you can know in your heart. Because there's a big difference between believing that there is a God and making the decision that he is Lord. He's in control. He's, he's, he's what drives every decision in my life because that starts pointing towards relationship, towards you understanding there's a depth of this. It goes on to say, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We belong to God, okay? But I do find that there's a lot of people, including Christians or people who identify as Christians that have an intellectual idea and knowledge of who God is, but haven't necessarily made the decision to make him Lord. I've met some Christians that love the idea of Jesus as their savior. Like, man, it is really good to know that somebody paid the price for my sin, but it doesn't mean that they're living every day under the lordship of Jesus that was actually the main reason why he paid that price, so that he could have control, not just save you from your sin, but then be lord of your life. And I think we find ourselves in these crossroads on a day-to-day basis on whether or not we're gonna truly live like we were made to be in relationship with God like a genuine, real relationship. So there's this passage of scripture we're gonna go through in Acts chapter 24, and, and, and it's gonna talk about a, a, the emperor Felix, Governor Felix. And basically, he is being confronted with the idea of whether or not he's gonna truly understand who God is and live that way, or if he's gonna reject that. It says this in verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, uh, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness and self-control and judgment and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently to talk with him. Okay, so let me give some context. Paul has been in prison. He's been arrested. He's standing before Felix and his wife, who's probably about 19 years at this time. Her name is Drusilla. Her past was she was a girl who heard the gospel when she was 16, and, but she was kind of in this place where she was just kind of open to anything spiritual. She heard the gospel, but then she heard about this other thing, and Felix actually used a magician to lure her away from her original husband to come with him, okay? So that's a little bit of this context. But I wanna dive into what Paul is telling both of them what it means, this faith in Christ, what Jesus did, what he paid the price for. So one of the things he talks about for this relationship with Jesus, he talks about righteousness. Okay, so what is that? That's God's righteous, holy standard of perfection that never changes. 
And who is the only one that has ever met that standard? It's Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then he talks about self-control. And that's really all of our inability to meet the righteousness standard. Like, we can't do it. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, but then he talks about judgment. And you just have to know, like, God has never winked at sin. There's never been a time when God was like, oh, it's, it's, that's okay. Because of what you've gone through, because of what you struggle with, that, that, it's, it's okay. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make God nicer about our sin. He died as a substitute for us because of our sin. And I know I've been in that space before. Like I, I'm sure all of us have thought at one point or another, it's like, man, I'm so glad that Jesus came and he died on the cross for my sin so that God could have a more balanced and clear worldview about sin. But God's standard has never changed. He has never compromised his character. He has never compromised his word in regards to sin. That's why we needed the righteous, holy, pure, and innocent sacrifice that is Jesus so that he could pay the price, okay? But Felix is hearing about this and he's terrified. And I think he's facing some conviction over sin. But then he sends Paul away and he says this, when I find it convenient, I think there's been seasons in our lives and maybe a season in your life where you were willing to say, hey, I'll get serious about this relationship with God when it's a little more convenient. But the truth is this, a convenient faith winds up being no faith at all. It doesn't exist. One of the scariest things that I see as a pastor is when conviction and opportunity get passed up on by believers, where God is saying, hey, I, 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 I'm trying to bring something to you to get your attention so that you can have a stronger, closer relationship with me. But it's not convenient at that time. It's more like, man, I, 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 I mean, I get it. Yeah, I, I think that that's true, but honestly, I'm busy. This is not a great, this is not a great time for me to be truly 100% committed in my relationship with Christ. It's not a convenient season. And nothing in your life is more important than those moments where the Holy Spirit is nudging you and whispering to you and trying to bring conviction to you because those are opportunities to move closer to God. And so I think it's important that you determine this year that you're not gonna be like Felix. You're not gonna put yourself in that position where as God is trying to come near to you, draw near to you, bring conviction maybe over some things in your life where you say, you know what? It's not real convenient for me to hear this right now. I got some of my own plans. I got some of my own things that I wanna do. But to lean into that, lean into what the Holy Spirit's trying to do because God is trying to draw close to you and draw you closer in relationship with himself. Essential number two, God made me to be like him. God made me to be like him. 
God wants you to be like him, not just know about him. Not just to know him, but to be like him. In Ephesians 5, 1, it says this, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So here's the thing though, if you look at the first part of this verse, it's incredibly intimidating because man, be imitators of God? How in the world can we imitate a perfect, holy, sovereign, all-powerful God? Well, the answer is in the second part of the verse. It's because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can love like him. We can have mercy like him. We can walk in grace like him. He offered himself as a sacrifice. My sons, Corbin and Reeves, especially when they were babies, people would always say, well, there is no mistake in whose son they are. I mean, just by how they looked, it's like, man, they can't get, they can't get away from looking like you. They are definitely your son. And I, so I brought some baby pictures. First one's me. I've always been kind of intense, so there you go. Okay, I did smile sometimes, once a week. There's Corbin. Okay, now go back to me and go to Corbin. Bless his heart. Like, <laughs> he just, there's just no getting out of it. And then Reeves too, he looks a lot like me too, just built a little different. So there's just no way that those, I mean, and even as they get older, it's like, yeah, that's James Bennett's son. He can't get away from that. But also know, you know, as, as dads, when you have sons, I know I did this with my dad. It, it's interesting as they get older, a lot of times little boys like to try to do things like dad does them. They try to emulate, which is also very intimidating. There's a good amount of inter, or external accountability built into that. It's like, okay, they're gonna imitate me, so watch out. But I remember when I, was, when I started growing up, man, I started dressing like my dad. I wanted to do everything that my dad was doing. And I've seen that a little bit in my sons, like, like, like Reeves, for instance. Like, well, he knows that I like watching sports, different sports and stuff, and so he started watching sports. But now he's developed this interest in it. Like, there isn't a day that goes by, he's like, Dad, who's playing games today? What games are going on? Is it basketball? Is it football? And he wants to learn. He wants to learn the players. He wants to learn how all the rules work. He wants to learn, you know, how all that. And, and a lot of it just, I think, comes out of, he's like, I just want to emulate dad. I want to be around him. I want to be interested in the things that dad's interested in. But the question is this. When people see you, are, do you unmistakably look like and act like your heavenly father? Like when people see you, are they like, man, there is no doubt who their daddy is. Man, there is no doubt who they belong to. Look, they emulate him. They do everything they can to act like him, to be like him. They're interested in what he's interested in. They're invested in what he's invested in. There is no doubt who they belong to, whose kids they are. 
because God made you to be like him. Romans 8, 28, it says this. We know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. His plans, not ours, his plans. For from the beginning, God decided that those who come to him should become like his son. To become his sons and daughters, like Jesus. Okay, so when it comes to us being created to be like him, that means all the time, all the time. That even when the situations and circumstances aren't what I'd like it to be, I know that because first and foremost, I love the Lord and I'm gonna be submitted to his plan, that no matter what happens, I can know without a shadow of a doubt, he is using it to help me be more like him. It says all that happens, it includes difficulties. Yes, it includes delays where you're having to be patient and wait on them. Yes, does it include disappointments, things that you don't understand? Absolutely. But once you understand this truth, once you understand that God's goal in your life is to make you like Christ and to build character in your life, everything in your life will take on a new meaning. And everything that happens to you will take on a new meaning. It's not that every difficult situation and circumstance is caused by God, but it does promise that every situation and circumstance that happens, we get to choose to let God use it. And if we choose to let God use it, we can believe and have full faith that no matter what it looks like, at the end of it, it's just making us look more and more like his kids, that we belong to him. He created us to be like him. Once you understand that God has a purpose behind all of it, there's a perspective that God is using even when bad things happen. And it's ultimately making us more like him. So here's a good question. If Jesus could trade places with your life, what changes do you think he would make in this year? Like if, if Jesus could do a Freaky Friday with you, right? If Jesus could switch spots with you, and, you, and he started living your life, whatever situation you're in, whatever's going on, what changes would Jesus make at your work? How would Jesus see your job? In your marriage and relationships, what changes would Jesus make in your position in relationships or in your marriage, in the circumstances you're in? How would Jesus respond? What changes would he make? Or in how you serve? How you serve? What changes would Jesus make? If we go back to the beginning in Genesis, remember, God created Adam, and the first thing he gave Adam is intimate relationship with him. The second thing he gave Adam was a job. He said, I want you to go and tend this garden. You're gonna have authority over all the living creatures and I want you to name them all, all right? Now, eventually he understood that Adam needed some help, desperately. Because when you go from naming things hippopotamus to blackbird, you've hit your creative lid and you're gonna have to have some help come along. But the point is this. I find that a lot of times in your life, there are two things that God will throw at you to develop who he created you to be. 
he will throw circumstances at you and he'll throw a job at you. And these things help cultivate your character. They're the things that test and shape and mold you into being more like him. In Micah 6, 8, it says this, we are called to be essential workers for the Lord by living a just life, loving others, showing them mercy, and walking humbly in every step of the way with our God. We've heard that term before, essential workers, right? But what if all of us could look at our life and starting right now in this year, say, hey, God has called me to be an essential representation, an essential worker in whatever area of life he has you in to represent justness, justice, loving others, showing mercy, being humble so that people can see, man, they look just like their daddy, their heavenly father. Essential number three, God made us to live in heaven. God made us to live in heaven. Did you know that, that hell was not actually created for humans? Hell is not created for humans. Hell was specifically created for Satan and the demons. That's what hell was created for. Now, the fact is that any person that does not surrender to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they will go to hell. But it isn't God's intention. God didn't create hell for humans. God created heaven for humans. And it is a physical place. It's a big city. It's amazing. But God actually created humans for heaven and then gave us the decision or the choice to choose which one. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.1. This is the living Bible. It's a little bit more of a commentary on it. For we know that when the tent we live in on earth is folded up, there is a home built by God for us, an everlasting home in heaven. This is the purpose for which God made us. I love what he talks about there, about how temporary this is for us. Like someday you're gonna fold up your tent. How many of y'all been tent camping before? Okay, well, here's the deal. I love tent camping. I can do a couple weeks, maybe three tops. But one point or another, I am thankful that that is not my home. That is not where I am permanently gonna be. I'm gonna go somewhere where I have central air and a refrigerator, and all the other stuff. And I love that perspective because that is exactly how we should see our time here on earth. Look, at one point or another, I'm gonna just fold this tin up and then I'm gonna go to the eternal place that God has created for me, my eternal home. But I will say that a lot of times when it comes to heaven, it's hard for me to always have, I think, the perspective that maybe I should. It's like, if it's some other teaching of Jesus, like even if it's a hard teaching of Jesus, I, a lot of times I'll just take that straight to the bank. Like I don't have a hard time, like I can understand it, I can receive it at least. Like love your neighbor, love your enemies, what he says about divorce and mercy and forgiveness and all these things. Like I can hear some of those sermons be like, amen, that's true, come on. But then, for some reason, when I hear about heaven, okay, like this perfect place that's lit up by the glory of God, no tears are there, the people we can't wait to see are there, uh, that I'm gonna have a perfect job in the perfect place with a perfect boss, 
and it's eternal. We're gonna have all these other cool benefits, like I think we'll be able to teleport and fly and breathe underwater and stuff like that. We'll have a glorified body, amen, amen. I love hearing about that, but for some reason, when I hear that part about everything that heaven is, I'm more like, I hope that's true. Like, I hope that's true. I think for me sometimes, I don't always connect how a creator God who is holy, who, who yes, he does love me enough that he sent his only son to die on the cross to pay the price for my sins so that I can have relationship with him. I don't always connect that he wants to spend eternity with me. That's a little bit harder to believe. Because let's just be honest, there isn't a person that's ever existed in your life that you want to be around all the time. Like even if you're married, you don't want to be around your spouse all the time, okay? There comes a point where you're like, I need some space. Like, like unless, unless you're newly married, and then you're thinking everything's wonderful, and every time she blinks, it's just like the most beautiful baby. You're, there's nothing, like you've been married like three, three weeks. So you probably feel that way right now. It'll change, and it's okay. But, but there's just never been anybody but God says, I want to live and be with you for eternity. Wow. Man. Some of, one of the biggest revelations that some of you could have is just how much God just wants to hang out with you and be with you and be around you. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the perspective that God has of you right now. He loves you. He wants to be around you. He wants you to live with him. This, it's temporary. Life is temporary. It's like a training ground. It's a preparation for eternity. John 6, 40 says this, God's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Okay, but I think one of the essentials has to do with having an eternal mindset. The reason why knowing and understanding that we were made to go to heaven is so important is so that we understand then there is a mindset that we need to have now that is ultimately the mindset that we should have for eternity. We're living with the end in mind. We're living with eternity in mind. Paul got to write his own obituary essentially in 2 Timothy. Chapter four, it says this, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. I, I talked about this verse a couple weeks ago. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But I love what he says. Paul doesn't say, I'm getting ready to die. He uses transportation language. He uses the word departure. Like he describes death in shipping terms, I'm about to pull up anchor here and I'm going to a new shore. I love that he has that mindset. Like, I knew this is temporary. I knew this is temporary. But he, but he says this, these are the key parts of him living the life that helped him stay in that mindset. He says, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Look, in 2022, you're gonna have some battles. Pick the right battles. Pick the right fights. Pick the right fights. Stop immediately going to fighting 
with things in the natural. The word says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So your first fight is never gonna be with a person or something natural. The first fight needs to be in prayer. The first fight needs to be in worship. The first fight needs to be understanding his word and taking captive every thought that sets itself against the knowledge of who you are in Christ Jesus and making them obedient. That's the first and most important fight that you wage. Stop swinging at stuff that doesn't matter ultimately. Start fighting what really matters. I've shared before that when I was growing up, I got in a few fights. I wasn't like a scrapper or anything. I really feel like, honestly, trouble just found me. And I know maybe you've heard people say that before, but I promise, like, I was not going around looking for fights. Honestly, I think I had a target on me from the very young age. The enemy wanted to do everything he could to try to discourage me and try to destroy my confidence in what God wanted to do to me. But I would get in these fights. I told you about one fight during our candlelight services where it wasn't really even a fight. I just got beat up bad. But I started to learn that probably one of the issues with the fights that I get in, why I would pretty much lose every fight, uh, it was because I would go into the fight with a very different perception of how that fight was gonna take place than the other person. Like I was spending my time walk, watching Walker, Texas Ranger, okay? But, but what I didn't realize is the person I was getting ready to fight with had been watching Jerry Springer. And, and, and so, so I was thinking, ah, oh, roundhouse kick. And they're thinking, I'm gonna poke your eyes out. Like, it, they don't fight fair. And I find that so many of us were getting into these fights with the wrong technique, not knowing the right weapons. And that's why we're getting defeated over and over and over again. So stop picking fights in the wrong place with the wrong people for the wrong reasons. Fight the good fight, the right fight. Take a swing at things that matter. It can make a difference. It also says finish your course. Finish your course. He finished his course, not somebody else's. Comparison is the greatest thief of joy and peace in your life. So stop trying to run someone else's course. In any race you will ever be in, they will say, here is the course. Stay on this course. If you don't stay on this course, you're gonna get disqualified. I heard about some of our church family did the Little Rock Marathon. They took a wrong turn. We're running around for a while on the wrong course. Just running around. But here's the thing, it wasn't helping them with the actual race. And I see so many people wasting time and energy that quite honestly, you don't have to waste running the wrong course, running someone else's race, someone else's course. Run your course. Any of us that are raising kids, you know at one point or another, you're gonna have this difficulty with getting them to eat all their food. This is gonna happen, right? And this is what happens. You get to a place where you start negotiating with them, right? Which is honestly just, it's horrible parenting skills. We all do it, but we shouldn't negotiate with our kids about what they need to do or not do. But, but when we need them to eat, we're like, this is important, they're gonna need this. You, you can break down and so you start negotiating, but God has given parents this innate ability to calculate mass and space. And so we think, okay, I need them to finish all their food. How can I trick them into finishing all their food? 
And so you've calculated the space inside of their mouth and you've divided the mass of food left by that space so that you know how many bites there might be left on the plate. And so you do that calculation. Of course, they try to get smart. You take little tiny bites. And so then you have to be more specific. The food has to cover the whole fork. That's a bite. But you do this because you think, man, if, if they will take that many bites of everything that's on their plate, then they will finish their plate. Let me encourage you with this. God is setting a portion in front of you. Finish your portion. Finish your portion. Don't get picky. Don't get impatient about the portion that he set before you. Recognize that whatever the portion is that he's given you and whatever that portion is made of, it is there because you need it. He is trying to give you what you need. But take a bite. In 2022, take a bite out of everything that God has put in your portion. Get all of it. Because there's something you need out of all of it. Take a bite out of weekend services and life groups and prayer and fasting and Bible studies and missions trips. The events that we do. Take that portion and be faithful with it. Eat it all. God's given you something that you need in it. And then it says, keep the faith. Keep the faith. That's simple. Don't quit. Don't lose your grip on the truth. What God says, dig in and hold on. Get some grit in your faith. And say, no matter what, I was created to be with God, like God, and belong to him. And because I know that is the most important thing, no matter what comes, he's got me. He's got me. I'm gonna hold on. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. The most essential thing that we talked about today was understanding that God created you to have relationship with him. That's why you were created. And the most important thing that you can start any season in, but, but an opportunity in starting a new year is to start a new year with a genuine relationship with your heavenly father who loves you. He loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He wants to have a real and close relationship with you. Not a religious relationship. Not a relationship that's based on how many times you attend church. It's not based on a knowledge. It's based on a relationship. It's based on simple childlike faith, accepting the fact that your sin separates you from a holy God, but he had a plan to rescue to reconcile you to himself. And he sent his perfect son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and then died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave by the power of God 
defeating death and defeating sin itself. And he is preparing a place for every person that calls on him as Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and maybe you've never truly done that, or maybe you feel like you have at one point or another, but you don't feel any closeness to God, you feel distant and away from him. If you really got level honest, you just say, you know what, I, I know I need to come back to God. You need to rededicate your life to him or surrender to him for the first time. And I believe that he wants that relationship with you. And I believe that it's God's heart to meet with you right now. It would be his desire that you are bold with your faith. You're bold with your faith. And so the word says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you pay the price for your sin on the cross, then you're saved. And so I encourage you to, to tell people about this. Maybe after the service, water baptism's coming up in a couple of weeks, go public with your faith. But I do think you can make a personal decision right there in your chair. The word is not clear on the process or how this is supposed to look. And what I'm getting ready to ask you to do is not what gets you saved. What gets you saved is the decision that you're making in your heart right now to surrender to him as the savior of your sin and the Lord of your life. But I do find that when you make a decision of your own free will that involves you physically drawing near to God, it helps you. It releases faith in you. So I'm just gonna ask every person that knows you need God, you're away from him, you need a relationship with him. I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up right now across this room. Nobody's looking around. But if you're ready to submit your life to him, as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Got you. I got you. Anyone else? I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Got you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. Father God, I thank you for those hands. I know that I know that it's not easy necessarily to admit but I thank you, God, that you were bold for us. You were bold in your sacrifice. So thank you for giving them the boldness to say they need you. God, I pray that you would meet with them right now. And if you raise your hand, talk to the Lord. You can say something like this. Say, God, I recognize that I need you. I recognize that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I ask for your forgiveness for my sins. I believe that he rose from the grave. When he did, he defeated my sin. He defeated death itself so that I can live a life that's constantly looking more and more like Christ. And I submit to you. I ask you to be my Lord, have control. And I turn away from living for myself. I wanna live for you. I repent. Now, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. I thank you, Father, for sending him. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're gonna lead me and guide me. Help me to grow in an understanding of your will, your word, your power, 
Help me to be connected to the body of Christ that can encourage me and challenge me through every step and every decision. Thank you. Father God, I thank you for every person that made that decision. I pray that we, as a church, can come alongside of them and help them grow into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you, God, for giving them the boldness to be public and, and bold about their faith. They believe in you. That when people look at them, they would say, there's no doubt who they belong to. There's no doubt whose kid they are. Give us all the grace and mercy to live that way, Father. We thank you for it. We're looking forward to this new year for us, Lord. We know you're not constrained within time and space, but it's a reset for us, and we thank you that your mercies are new. Thank you for that. Help us to live for you like never before. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.